God designed us for life, an abundant life with Him and with one another. But there's a problem. Someone has taken our life. Jesus said the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. We're missing out on life like God intended because we go looking for life in all the wrong places. But there is a solution to this problem. Jesus said he came so that we may have life and have it in abundance. That's why Cross United Church exists, to help people find life like God intended. We believe life like God intended happens when three things are united in our lives. When we're brought to God in wholehearted worship through the cross of Jesus Christ, when we're brought together in authentic community, when we're deployed on the joyful mission that God has for us in the world, we experience fullness of life. Life like God intended, united in wholehearted worship, authentic community, and joyful mission is why Cross United Church exists. Hey, Cross United, Pastor Danny here. I'm so glad you've joined us for this online message. I want to encourage you to turn or tap in your Bible or your app to John 14. We're going to be in verses 15 through 21. While you're turning there, I also want to remind you, you can go to crossunited.org. And at crossunited.org, there are two spots on the top menu bar I want to invite you to click on. On the top left-hand side, there's a spot that says online check-in. That will take you to our digital connection card where you can let us know a little bit more about yourself and uh, let us know ways we can be praying for you. And we would love to get to know you a little bit better and for you to get to know us a little bit better. Also there on crossunited.org, on the top right-hand side of the menu bar is the giving tab. If you click that, it will take you to our secure online giving platform. If you consider Cross United your church home, or if you just consider yourself a generous person, we encourage you to give uh, to our church and through our church. As a new church, we are on the pathway of being self-supporting financially. We are currently supported by partners, people, and churches all across the country. And as we grow and mature, we need to be fully uh, supported and sustained by our own internal giving. So thank you for partnering with us in that. Also, there are a number of ways for you to get plugged in. Um, one way is for you to come early to on Sundays to set up. Um, and this is where we you know, move some chairs around, set up some of the, the things we have uh, for uh, some of the banners and those sorts of things for the Sunday morning gathering. You can come early um, to set up. Uh, if you have musical gifts or, or gifts in singing, you can be part of the music team. Um, if you're good at working with kids, you can connect to the kids team. We have Bible studies for men and women all throughout the year. We're going to be doing a book drive for the local elementary school, Norcrest Elementary. And for Easter, um, I want to invite you and, and to, uh, to get involved in our Easter outreach and um, get a yard sign to put in your yard. And uh, you can p grab one of these on Sunday, or if you need us to drop one off, we can definitely do that for you. And uh, you can put this in your front front lawn and uh, spark some conversations, invite some people, um, let, let the sign do the work, and, and just see how God uses that and leads uh, in that way. Finally, um, kids, we are restarting our Cross United Kids ministry. And so uh, this Sunday, today, on March 21st, we are having a servant leaders meeting after worship. The next two Sundays, we're going to be having some special kids activities. And then on April 11th, we're going to be kicking off our five and under Cross United Kids group. And so if you're able to serve and you are gifted to serve with kids, I invite you to get connected to that. You can email hello at crossunited.org for any of those things. Well, this week was a big week in our family. My baby brother 
my little brother, Nikki, his wife, Chelsea, had their baby. Uh, we actually got the text while we were starting church on Sunday that they were going into the hospital and that she was going to be hopefully having the baby that day. And we eagerly waited all day getting updates here and there about the arrival of our new baby niece. And we were really excited to see her and to meet her. They live in, in Southern California. So to get some pictures of her um, and to find out her name. Uh, my brother and his wife, they are fully millennial, and so they. I, this is a newer thing. Our kids aren't that old, but this wasn't a thing when, when we were having our kids where uh, you can tell people if the baby's a boy or a girl, which they did. We knew it was going to be a little girl, uh, but you hold the name, and you, and you keep the name private, and you announce the name when you announce the birth, and that's that's what they did. And so we were anxious to, to see our niece, and we were anxious to find out what our niece's name was would be and we got the text sunday evening with the announcement and the picture and our niece's name there's something important and special about a name we, we attach a name especially in terms of a person to our whole uh, impression of that person so, so if you ask me what does the name laura mean to me laura is my wife i, I could tell you objective facts i could tell you uh, um, some subjective experiences. I could tell you stories about our life together, but I can't convey all that that name brings to my heart and my mind. I can't give you um, what some, some have called the impression that that name presses upon me. And in the scripture, we see God tells us his name. We see in, in the Old Testament, God reveals himself uh, through a number of names and titles, but most centrally, his name is Yahweh or Lord in all capitals in your Old, Old Testament English translations. The great I am, the true and living God, the creator of, of the cosmos and the, and the covenant God of Israel. We, we see the Lord's name in the New Testament. The name Yahweh is identical to the name Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that the, that the true and living God is the triune God. Well, today in our scripture text, we are going to find um, some, some, some of this in play where Jesus is going to reintroduce us to the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, and he's going to give us a new name, well, really more, more specifically and more accurately, a new title by which to refer to the Spirit. He's going to call this Spirit, this third person of the Trinity, the paraclete. Now, the paraclete is a word in the original language that doesn't have an exact translation in the, the English language. And, and, and lots of versions, we're going to read our text in just a second, take it any number of ways. And all of those words convey an aspect of this word, but none of them convey the entire sense of impression um, that, that is accurately describing the Spirit. So here's what I want to do in this text. We're going to read this text, and I think what, what not what I want to do, but what God wants to do in this text is he wants to put upon our hearts and on our minds an impression of the paraclete. So let's read the text together. John 14. If you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor. Our, our version, which I love, CSB, takes this as counselor, but that's the word paraclete, to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. 
the world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live too. On that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me, and the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. This text gives us the incredible opportunity to get acquainted or to get reacquainted with the third person of the Trinity, God's indwelling presence with us, God the Holy Spirit, the paraclete. Um, in, in our modern day and age, we, we see that, um, I think, I think uh, Luther, Martin Luther said that, that Satan doesn't care if you fall off the horse to the right or the left as long as you're not in the saddle. He doesn't care if you fall into the ditch on one side or the other as long as you're not on the pathway of, of following Jesus. And, and so in our day, I think we see two dangers. On, on, the, on the, the right-hand side, maybe we see the danger to ignore the Holy Spirit, to minimize the Holy Spirit out of fear of overly elevating the Spirit. And, and maybe on the left-hand side, we see a, an emphasis on the Holy Spirit that's beyond what Scripture emphasizes and, and attributing things to the Holy Spirit that go beyond what Scripture itself attributes to the Holy Spirit. And I think Jesus wants to keep us on the, the narrow pathway of following him in step with the Spirit, indwelled by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, being filled by and with the Holy Spirit. So what I, I think this text allows us to do this morning is to reacquaint ourselves with this important third person of the Trinity, the, 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 the God who dwells with us as his people in this moment. And so what we're going to do is we're going to briefly look at our first impressions of the Spirit from John's Gospel, and then we're going to look at, from this text, John 14, 15 through 21, 11 impressions of what Jesus calls the paraclete. So the first impressions of the Spirit we saw in, in John already was that the Spirit descends. We see in John 1, 32 and 33 that the Spirit descended from heaven like a dove and rested on Jesus. And, and, he, and I didn't know him, John the Baptist says, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me the one you see the Spirit descending on and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Jesus the, the, says in John 3, 34, the one whom God sent speaks God's word since he gives the spirit without measure. The spirit comes upon Jesus and comes through Jesus. John 7, 39, he said this about the spirit that streams of living water would flow out of him. Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the spirit for the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not been yet been glorified. The spirit descends upon Jesus and the spirit then descends upon the people of Jesus. Secondly, the spirit gives life. Jesus answered, truly, I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Where the wind blows where it wishes, you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. John 6, 63, the spirit is the one who gives life. The, the, the Nicene Creed, the, one of the 
earliest creeds of the and the most robust creeds of the early Christian faith that summarize biblical teaching that all streams of Christianity adhere to Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, and historic Protestants like like our church is called the Spirit, the Lord and the Giver of Life. Spirit gives life. Spirit descends. The Spirit gives life. Third, the Spirit empowers worship. John four twenty three and twenty four. But the hour is coming, and it's now here. This is Jesus talking to the woman, the Samaritan, the the woman at the well, where the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. So these are our first impressions of the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of John, what we've been calling the Book of Life, this biographical portrait of Jesus from his friend and follower John after many, many, many years of having served Jesus, after having in his early life, in his late teens, early 20s, having walked with Jesus, and then for the next 50, 60 years, having proclaimed Jesus and and served Jesus as a pastor and a preacher. So now in the text where we are studying John 14, 15 through 21, we're going to see 11 impressions of the Holy Spirit. 11 impressions of the paraclete. Number one, love. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Now, we know throughout the Gospel of John, John is obsessed with love. And, and we know he's actually been called the apostle of love. And and in John 13, 1, we see that he tells us that this moment in the story is a moment of love where Jesus knew his hour had come to depart from this world, and having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, here in John 14, 15 is the first time John tells us of Jesus telling his disciples to love him in return, that love is reciprocal, that their affection is revealed in action. And this is tied up into the person of the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, love. And he says, if you love me, second, obedience. The second impression is obedience. If you love me, you will keep my commands. Obedience grows in consistency over time. Um, We call this sometimes progressive sanctification, the, the process of becoming more like Jesus. This past week, Laura and I took a trip, an overnight uh, conference to J- in Jacksonville with one of our networks, the Send Network, and we drove four hours from South Florida Jack- to Jacksonville on I-95. And at any given moment on that journey, we may have been going northeast, northwest, or even due east or due west, but our overall trajectory was north. And by the end of the trip, at the end of that time, we had traveled four hours, hundreds of miles north. This is the Christian life. We must look at the trajectory of our lives. Is it moving to become more obedient, more like Jesus? Affection, Jesus says, is revealed in action. And here we see love and obedience go together. That that love without obedience has no spine, and obedience without love has no skin, but we are a body and we're called to have a spine and a skin. We're, we're not called to be just rigid, um, o- o- obedient robots, and we're not called to g- be just mushy, loving, ooey-gooey uh, uh, um, hug- huggers. You know, we're, we're called to obey in love. I think um, part of the problem in our 
our churches today, and part of the problem in our own Christian lives, is that we misfire in any number of ways, and in one of three ways specifically. We're called to live at the intersection or the conjunction of three things. We're called to live at the conjunction of orthodoxy or faithful teaching or faithful belief. We're called to live in orthopathy or faithful affection or love for God and others, and then in orthopraxy, faithful action. And we see that we are called to live at the conjunction of these three things. So it's not enough to just believe the right things. It's not enough just to feel the right things. It's not enough just to do the right things. You must believe, feel, and do the right things in faithfulness to Jesus. The impression of the spirit of love, obedience. And then in verse 16, the impression of gift, The Father will give you another counselor. Thomas Aquinas said Jesus asks for the Spirit in his human nature as man, but he gives the Spirit as God. The, The Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. And the Father and the Son have this eternally perfect understanding of one another. And the Spirit is given at at the request of the Son, just as the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. The Son. Notice he says another paraclete, meaning this implies that Jesus is a paraclete, that when God the Father sent God the Son, he sent a paraclete into the world. And we know this is true because the only other time outside of these three chapters in John 14 through 16 where the word paraclete is used is in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, John wrote this around the same time as his gospel. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have An advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. An advocate, a paraclete with the Father. The the Son and the Spirit are are paracletes. They're both paracletes. They're both uh, missionaries, if you will, from the Father into the world to bring the revelation of God and to bring the salvation of God, the gift of God into the world. Yet they do that in their own distinct personal ways because they are distinct persons. A paraclete, like I said, doesn't have a direct translation in English. Our our translation takes it as counselor, which has the legal sense, like counsel, like attorney, advocate. Um, Some translations take it as helper or comforter. So so what I think is better to do is just list out the ways that the Bible describes the paraclete, and then when we hear the word paraclete, all of those things will sort of flood into our mind, just like if you say the name of a person you know and love, you can't just define it in one small way. Fourth, companion. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you, a paraclete to be with you forever. Jesus promises us in the Great Commission that he will be with us always, all the days until the end of the age, Matthew 28, 20. How can that be true? Because he's not with us in body. It's because he's with us in spirit, not some sort of like ooey gooey sense of like, oh, they're with us in spirit, but they're with us in the capital S spirit, that his spirit is in us and with us. His personal presence is with us in the person of the Holy Spirit because they are one God. Fifth, truth. He is the, verse 17, spirit of truth. In John 14, 6, Jesus is called the truth. And and so we see that if he's the spirit of truth, he's the spirit of Jesus. He's the one who brings truth into the world. He's the one who brings truth into the church in and through the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
That the Spirit will never do anything or say anything or lead in any direction that is not in accordance with the truth, in accordance with the person and the purpose of Jesus Christ, in accordance with the written word of Jesus Christ. Next, knowledge. He says, the, the Spirit of truth, the world's unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. To know the, the Spirit is to know Christ, and to know Christ is to know the Father. To know Christ is to know the Spirit and the Father, because they are one God. So if they know Jesus, they will know the Spirit. If you know Jesus, you will recognize the Spirit when He arrives. If you know the Spirit, you will recognize the truth of Jesus and the truth of the Father. The Spirit will always lead into the person of Jesus to the glory of God the Father. And if the Spirit in your experience is making much of the spirit if the paraclete is making much of himself not pointing you to jesus then maybe you have a misfired understanding of the paraclete next indwelling you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you he he doesn't just dwell with us he dwells in us we are his temple Remember in the Old Testament, the temple was the place where the glory and the presence of God descended in power. Well, we are that temple, both individually, but even more so corporately as churches, as the church, as the local church, and as the universal church. We are indwelled by the Spirit. The Spirit is in us. He is the empowering presence, um, scholar Gordon Fee says, of God in us, God's empowering presence in us. He is at work in us and through us. He's, he's accessible to us every moment of every day. If you are a Christian, you have the spirit of the living God, the spirit of the living Jesus inside of you. Next, presence. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. Now, here's a profoundly Trinitarian verse, because what is an orphan? An orphan is a child without a father. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you without the Father. But if he's leaving them, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How can that be the case? Well, it's because when the Spirit descends, when the Spirit descends, when Jesus gives his disciples the Spirit in a provisional sort of way at the end of John's Gospel and then in fullness at Pentecost in Acts 2, he is giving to them his own personal presence and his own personal presence and person will lead them to the Father so that the whole triune God takes care of his people. Next, vision. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you live also. The world will no longer see me, but you will see me. And they're going to see him in three ways. First, they're going to witness his resurrection. He will be crucified, buried, and raised from the dead so that anyone who will turn from their sin and trust in him will be forgiven of their sin and given eternal life. They will see his resurrection. Secondly, they will see him with the invisible eyes of faith, that they will see him in the spirit. They will see his power at work in the world. We say, we know Jesus. And people say, how can you know Jesus? He's not here because we have spiritual eyes to see what others can't see. And then third, we will see him in his second arrival. Next, future. Future. On that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. On that day is a statement of 
eschatology, the, the end time that God is bringing in. But what we see in the, in the Bible is that the end time has already been inaugurated. It's already been ushered in. It's already been started in the gospel, in the incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. The last day is this day that is already here, but not yet fully consummated. We, we live now by faith, and then one day we will live by sight as Jesus returns and comes to retrieve his own. Finally, love. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me is the one who will the one who loves me will be loved by my father, and I also will love him and reveal myself to him. There's a mutuality of the love of God for his people. The love of God initiates the relationship though. John 3:16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We see in John 11:5 that Jesus loved Mary and Martha and that led to his action on on their behalf for them. So we see here that God doesn't love us as a response to our love for him, but that there's this reciprocity, there's this mutuality that God initiates a love relationship. We return that love to him and then he in turn pours more love back out upon us. This cycle of love. This is what it means to be a Christian. To be loved by God and to love God. To pour out the love he's given us toward back toward him vertically and toward others horizontally. These are some impressions of the paraclete. We could go on and on, but I want to end with this. Stephen Olford was a tremendous preacher of the last generation. Billy Graham said he was probably the person who most influenced Billy Graham's own ministry. And Stephen Olford, before he died in 2004, preached a message and told a story of a time in his life where he was just longing to understand the Holy Spirit. He was longing to have a deeper encounter of the Holy Spirit. And so he rented a hotel for a number of days and, and he was planning, he took a stack of books with him to go and just wrestle with the Lord and study and pray and, and to just pursue the Holy Spirit. Well, he hadn't been there very long, just just a number of hours when all of a sudden what he already knew in his mind was actualized, like like a strike of lightning in his heart. That he, he had this realization that what was true was true. He understood it and he believed it and was this, he's God. He's God. The Spirit is God. The paraclete is God. And he's with us. So will you receive this gift?